Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to become once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. As the word of the Lord, you may be seated. Good, good. If you guys wouldn't mind, now you definitely can hear me. Uh, If you guys wouldn't mind, uh, let's start by praying, uh, and then we'll get into it. I do want to say thank you before I pray. Uh, I've gotten uh, emails, text messages, phone calls from some of you just asking where I've been. Uh, Very, very grateful for the love that you've uh, shown me over the last few weeks. I've been traveling because of work. Uh, Very grateful to be back with you. But I do want to say thank you um, just for reaching out and making sure that that I'm all right and alive and well. so let's, uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we give you thanks for the opportunity to be together once more. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that, that we are your children. And as, uh, as our bulletins all say, that we are free indeed. Uh, we ask that as we look at uh, this passage today, uh, that we, we would learn some things, gain some things for, from it, Lord, that, uh, that would move us in our walk, um, that Christ would continue to be formed in us, as Paul says. We ask these things, Lord, with boldness, knowing that through him we have received that promise. Uh, Again, we thank you for the few weeks that we've been in Galatians thus far, Lord. Um, Continue to to move and work in us through your spirit, God. We thank you that he lives and resides in us. And we know that you are present in this room with us today. So we ask that you would speak. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good news. I have a burning question to ask you uh, that I've been wondering for weeks. We've been in the book of Galatians, and I haven't heard anyone ask this yet, uh, but it's been on my mind, and so I'm wondering if one of you could help me get the answer. Um, As we look at the book of Galatians, here's my my burning question. Why would a grown man, later in life, choose to get circumcised? That seems awfully painful. Why would anyone choose later in life to do something so drastic, to do something so bold? As we've been looking at the book of Galatians, we've got to keep in mind that on a practical level, that's exactly what the Galatian men, the men of the church there, were planning on doing. That, that's what motivates Paul to write this letter. The Galatians are deciding to follow Jewish law and custom. So a grown man is choosing later in life to do something drastic. What would motivate someone to do something like that? As I've been reading the letter of Galatians, I've been wondering week after week after week, what in the world was going on in the mind of the Galatian men? What would cause a drastic measure like that one? And I think Paul addresses it in the passage that we're looking at today. But... But I want to say that the Galatians aren't the only ones that take extreme measures. We do it all the time. I remember that one day I decided I was way too addicted to social media, so I decided to take everything off my phone. Not just social media, I mean literally everything. Pictures, music, everything. Things that had nothing to do with social media. And then I had Kerwin lock it for me. 
problem with that was I decided to do that a week before traveling and then I had no way of connecting with my mom, no way of talking to my brother, no one knew if I was okay or not. And I had no way of getting back onto my phone. Extreme measures that I took to make sure that I wouldn't be addicted to anything. We do that kind of thing as well uh, with food. We go through drastic measures to say, you know what, I'm going to show God that I love him more than chocolate. So we get rid of every candy, we get rid of every piece of sugar that we see at our house. We do everything we can. We go beyond, beyond what we originally intended. We take extreme measures. And here's why I think we do that. I think we do that because we doubt. We doubt that uh, we can actually attain freedom from the things that are enchaining us. As we've looked at the book of Galatians over the last few weeks, as we've continued through the different chapters of the book of Galatians, Paul has continued to say over and over and over again in several different ways to the Galatian church, you are free. Free. You're a child of God, an heir to the promise. You are free. Because the Galatian church is deciding to do something extreme. And I think that they're deciding to do it because they have extreme doubt and insecurity that they really are what Paul is saying or claiming, that they really are free indeed. And so what would motivate someone to do something so extreme? I would argue that it would be their doubts and their freedom. How do we face those doubts? When we look at our spiritual lives and see sin in our lives, how do we face those doubts that come creeping in when we see sin? When we see struggles that have been a part of our Christian walk for years on end and still haven't changed, how do we face the doubt that we really are free? Without going through extreme measures to get rid of uh, the doubt, to deal with the anxiety, what do we do? And Paul is going to try to face this in Galatians chapter 4. He's going to try to tackle it head on. He's going to try to stop the Galatians from taking extreme measures to deal with their doubt. Why would any child of God choose to live like a slave? What would motivate them to do that? If not, doubt that they really are a child of God. And if... Today, you doubt that you really are a child of God, then I want you to look with me at Galatians chapter 4. If you really doubt that you are free from the things that once enslaved you, then as we look at Galatians chapter 4, I want you to be reading with me as Paul goes on to tell the Galatians how to face that anxiety, how to face that doubt, how to deal with it in a way that really reflects the freedom that is really theirs. If you haven't already turned with me, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Now, Pastor Ralph preached last week and he ended, I believe, in verse 11. Uh, But we're going to go back again and we're going to start in verse 8, okay? If you remember, over the last week or last Sunday as Pastor Ralph preached, uh, he ended by saying, we really are sons, That's what what the passage ends on. We really are redeemed sons of God. 
And Paul here is going to start by backtracking a little bit into the testimony of the Galatians. Galatians chapter 4 verse 8 says this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul's going to start his argument all over again. He's he's going to start over. If you remember Galatians chapter 1, Paul tells the Galatian church, you know the gospel. You know what I preached to you at the beginning. Why would you stray away from that? He says, even if an angel were to preach under the gospel, that angel should be rejected. He goes on to share his testimony. If you guys remember weeks ago when Kerry preached through chapter 1, he gave us Paul's testimony. We go on from there to where Paul challenges Peter in chapter 2. In chapter 3, Paul tells us that we are heirs like Abraham because of our faith. The beginning of chapter 4, he says, you are sons of God. And now he's going to backtrack and start over from a different vantage point. He's going to start the way he started before. If you remember in chapter 1, he started with his own testimony. Say, here's the gospel and what it did in my life. Now he's going to start and go again. Here's the gospel, Galatians, and what it did in your life. And he's going to go through their testimony. But he's going to lay out a problem first. He's going to lay out a problem. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, we're going to see a problem come up. Surface, surface from the very beginning of the story. And as he continues to lay out the Galatian testimony, he's going to give an answer to that problem. So look with me again. Verse 8, he says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Here's the start of the testimony. Galatians, you once praised or worshipped or idolized things that were not even gods. You were pagans. Galatians did not serve the true God. 
In some sense, all of us have the same testimony starting point, right? We all start there. None of us worship the true God, right? Here's where it gets different. But he says, but now you do know God. Now you do serve him. And he adds an interesting uh, side note, a parenthesis, if you will. And he says, verse 9, or rather, you're known by God. Have you ever had a friend who's talking to you and they, they kind of say an under their breath big statement? Uh, that, that's kind of what Paul is doing here. He, under his breath, kind of says something really profound. You once were pagans who did not worship God. But now you do know the true God. And under his breath he says, well, actually it's more like you're known by God. That's profound. That's significant. It's not to say that they don't know God, but it's important to know that God has known them far before they ever chose to know him. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to read this to you guys. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 8, I'm sorry. Chapter 8, verse 3. Paul says to the Corinthians church, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That means that the Galatian church, for Paul to say, you are known by God. He's saying that you have chosen to love the true God, to place your faith in Him. And God has known you. That's been significant in Scripture from the very beginning. When the people of Israel were taken out from the Exodus, I've said this countless times before, what to say before God ever chose to bring them out from their slavery? It says that He heard their cry. That he saw their affliction. And the end of chapter 2 in Exodus says, he knew the affliction of the Israelites. God knew them before he redeemed them and saved them. Before they ever knew him, God knew them. Salvation starts with God knowing, choosing a people. And Paul says to the Galatians, God has chosen you. It's a part of your testimony. God has chosen you. He's picked you up out from pagan worship, from worshiping other things. And then he asked this question, and here's the problem. He asked, how then could you turn back to weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? How could you go back to that? I got to be honest, I had no idea what Paul meant by weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. It's quite the expression. We know the first two words, weak and worthless. We understand those. But what's he mean by elementary principles of the world? Paul's using an an idiom here, uh, a Greek idiom, that can be translated a couple ways. One way it can be translated as elements, meaning earth, fire, wind, you know, the things that make Captain America. Another way to be translated could be the the basic components, the things that make up something. Another way that it can be set up is the principles or guiding uh, rules of basic life. And I think that's what Paul has in mind here. He's saying, how could you, who have stepped away from the basic ruling or undergirding of the world, to being known by God, go back then to something so worthless, something so weak, something so impotent. 
could you do that? What's Paul talking about here? What is that basic rule that they're following? What is that, that underlying principle? The underlying principle is this. We have to do something really extreme to earn our freedom. It's all over the place in this world. Everything in this world works on merit. To make the cut to a sports team, you have to earn your, your spot. To earn the job, you have to have certain qualifications. To live in a certain kind of place, you have to set yourself free from the chains of your neighborhood. Everything in this world works on merit. Every single religion, every single political sphere, this world runs on a merit-based system. We have to earn everything in this world. That's the, the basic rule, the principle of this life. And that's why the Christian message is so backwards. That's why it, it makes no sense to people. Because it doesn't operate under the basic rules of this world. You don't earn your freedom. You have it because you're known by God. You don't earn favor with the Lord. You have it because He's chosen you. You're a child of God because He has chosen to love and lavish that blessing on you. Because of His love alone. Because of His love alone. And the Galatians, by doing something as extreme as deciding that they would need to follow Jewish law, they were returning back to that principle of earning their favor. But think about this for just a second for me. Paul is comparing going back to Jewish law to pagan merit systems. That's a pretty bold statement coming from a Jewish man. Paul, being the, the, very, uh, the very epitome of a follower of Jewish law. In chapter 1, he talks about that in his testimony. He attempted by way of Jewish rules to earn favor with God. Paul is saying, that is weak. That is impotent. That is no good. That will do you no better. You will still have the same problem, Galatians. You will still feel the anxiety and doubt that comes from living in this world. The doubt that you really are free indeed. Following rules isn't going to get that to disappear. You can't follow your rules into getting rid of the anxiety that comes with sin in our lives and uh, affliction in our lives and how that causes us to doubt our freedom. That's not going to do it. And Paul tells them what they're doing. Look at verse 10. He says, you observe days, months, seasons, and years. And then in verse 11, Paul gets real honest. He says, I'm afraid that I did all this work for nothing. Essentially, Paul is saying, I'm not sure that you ever really got the gospel to begin with. If you're trying to earn your way into freedom... If you're trying to face the anxiety that comes with living in this world by working your way out of it, then I'm starting to think that you never really got what I preached to you to begin with. If you're the Galatian church, this had to be really, really startling. Uh, to hear that 
maybe you never really understood it, is to hear, I'm not saved. It's to cause that anxiety to really come to the surface. Paul is saying, I'm not sure you really got it. The Galatians are probably hearing, could he be right? Is it true that I really didn't get it? Did I miss this? Am I really saved? Do I really have freedom? Am I really a part of the people of God? Is that really true? And so Paul's going to go to their story, to their testimony. Just like he went to his own. He's going to go to theirs now. Look with me at the second half of verse 12. He says, You did me no wrong. He's going to go further and say, You know it was because of a bodily bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Paul preached the gospel the first time in the Galatian church, whenever that was. He goes back to that moment. And he tells the Galatians about how they received him. The problem is, they're trying to work their way. They're doing something really extreme. They're trying to get rid of the anxiety that comes with this world. They're trying to say, no, 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 I am free. I am a son of God. I've earned that. And Paul's saying, that's not it. You're not getting it. But you did. These verses tell the Galatian church, you did get it. There was a moment that you understood it. Paul came to the Galatian church because of some sickness. We're not sure what that is. Uh, Some people have tried to argue that it's this, malaria, or that it's a problem with his eyes, or whatever it is. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Paul came to the Galatian church sick, weak, hurting. And he preached the gospel. Remember in chapter 3 when he says, I preach Christ to you, and he says that it's as if Christ was portrayed, crucified to you? Remember that? I think yeah, what Paul means when saying he, he, Christ is portrayed, crucified, he means Christ was portrayed weak. Christ was portrayed in all his weakness to the Galatian church. His messenger came weak too. Christ was portrayed in Galatians chapter 3. Paul tells the Galatian church that Christ was portrayed crucified to them. The power of the cross was shown to them. That Christ came, shed his blood, died on a cross, became weak for us. But Christ, or what Paul did, he did also in weakness. He preached the gospel sick. Ailing. And here's the part that's interesting. Verse 14 says, And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ. Here's what's interesting about verse 14. Though Paul was sick to the point that he was a trial, a burden to the Galatian church. They didn't reject him or his message. Though they were tempted to. Their trial, Paul, was a trial to them, a burden to them. 
in those days, if someone was preaching this message of salvation and yet they were sick, there was reason to doubt their message. And that's no different today. We preach that God can save us from this world, from its pain, from doubt, from anxiety, and yet we still live here. We still face suffering. We still get sick. We still hurt. And so the temptation of the world listening to our message is to say, wait a minute. Your message is no different than all the others. It doesn't work. You're still sick. You're still suffering. You still doubt. You still have anxiety. Why should I ever receive your message? But the Galatians didn't do that. Instead, they did receive Paul. They received him as if he was Jesus Christ himself. Paul preached Christ crucified as a man weak, as a man in his weakness. And the Galatian church received that message for what it truly was, the saving message, the one that redeems. We can't miss that. When Paul says, I'm afraid that my work has been in vain, he goes back to encourage them by saying, but I know it's not, because when I was there with you at first, you did receive the message. So then what's going on with the Galatians? Why are they doing something so extreme, like choosing to go to Jewish law? And grown men going to be circumcised, deciding to follow certain celebratory holidays, months, years, days. Why would they do that? It's because they doubt that they really are free. And they need something to prove it. But what proves our freedom? What does that? How are we assured that we truly are free? What is that blessedness? Verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Uh, The gospel is preached in weakness, but to those who receive it, they then go out to the weak. Turn back to Galatians chapter 2 for me, real quick. Paul shares this testimony in chapter 1. He talks about how the gospel changed his life. In chapter 2, he goes forth to the, the Christians in Jerusalem. He gets confirmed his message and then gets sent out again to preach. Right? Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. It says, Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. When the gospel changed... Paul's life, he was motivated to reach out to the poor, the weak, and the hurting. In the testimony of the Galatians, there's proof that they really did receive the gospel. Because when Paul was weak, it says, you would have given me your eye. You would have really cared for me. You would have really taken care of me. Verse 16. Now they've changed the way that they respond to Paul. It says, Have I then become an enemy by telling you the truth? They've changed their stance on Paul. They went from receiving him in his message, receiving him as if he were the message, 
as if he were Jesus Christ himself, to now saying, we don't want anything to do with you. Instead, they've received, verse 17, they. Who's they? It's those guys that are saying, hey, you follow these rules, you become a part of the family of God. If you follow these rules, you're for sure, you're certain that you have your freedom. Verse 17 says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, they, that you may make much of them. The Judaizers are trying to tell the Galatian Christians that if they follow a certain set of rules, Jewish rules, then that anxiety that they feel about whether or not they really are free will go away. Paul tells them these guys are doing this for no good reason. Their motives are wrong and foolish. (laughs) Here's the problem. Christians deal with doubt in their freedom all of the time. We doubt our freedom all of the time. And yet we are prone to doing the very thing that keeps us from our freedom. The Judaizers were the same way. They proclaimed to believe in Jesus Christ. But they also doubted their freedom. They doubted the gospel. And it says in 17 that they want to shut you out. Rules shut us out from the gospel. They do. And the reason that these Judaizers are so committed to this task of saying, you have to look like us, is because ministers of that message follow these rules and become saved, need disciples to follow the rules to legitimize their message. Does that make sense? People who say, you need to obey these things, you need to do what I am telling you to do to be saved, need you to follow that for their message to be legitimized. Their motive is their very pride. This needs to work. They need the Galatians to follow this. And Paul is saying, it's okay to be zealous. Verse 18, it's alright to be zealous. Even when Paul's not there. If they had come zealous to preach the gospel, to encourage the Galatian Christians that they were truly free, Paul wouldn't have a problem with it. But instead he ends by saying, I'm perplexed by you, verse 20. I'm back in the anguish of childbirth for you. So that Christ would be formed in you. So that Christ would be formed in you, verse 19. My little children, for who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Notice the word again. Paul is right back at it. He starts off by saying, I feel like my work might have been in vain. But here he says, but I'm still committed to you. And he uses a metaphor. He says, I'm back in childbirth. Paul isn't in childbirth, really. It's a metaphor to say, I'm back at this task, anguishing to see you understand the gospel again. A second time. So that Christ would be formed in you. He flips the metaphor twice, right? First Paul's in childbirth. Now the Galatians are having Christ formed in them. So Christ would be formed in you. How do we deal with the anxiety that we may be losing our freedom? 
It's with truth, not rules. How do we deal with the doubt in our freedom that we really are saved by grace through faith? It's with truth, not rules. It's not by obeying a certain set of things, looking a kind of way, acting a certain kind of way. It's by believing the true message. The Galatians went away from that message. As a matter of fact, the messenger was treated as an enemy. Paul asked, did I become your enemy by telling you the truth? The truth didn't seem good enough. It didn't seem true enough to the Galatians. How could it be that God would set us free because He's known us? If He knows me, He knows how wicked I really am. If He knows me, He knows how prone I am to really disobey Him. How could it be true that He would still choose me? That He would still set me free? That He would still fill me with the Spirit? How could that be true? That's the doubt that we face. And we usually face that doubt by trying to follow a certain set of rules, by looking a kind of way. By acting a certain way. And Paul is saying, forget that. That will shut you out. That's the elementary principles of the world. You tried that already. And that didn't work. You tried that as pagans, it didn't work. It won't work now if you try it with Jewish rules. That won't do it any better. And that's the same thing we need to deal with today. How do we face the doubt that we really are free? With truth, not rules. We don't need to start saying, well, I need to start coming to church and then small group and then every church activity and then I'm going to be a part of every prayer group and I'm going to do uh, this Bible study with this person and I'm going to do all of these things and that will confirm to me that I really, really am saved. That's not going to do it. The motivation to legalism is insecurity of our faith. A lot of times people say, oh, legalism is a form of pride. And yes, that's true. It is a form of pride. But it's also a form of insecurity. We turn to legalism. We turn to rule following when we are not sure that we really are saved. So we make up a set of rules to say, well, if I do this, 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 and that, then I have done everything that's necessary of a saved person. But that only causes us more anxiety because the truth is, if we set up the rules, we'll break them. The minute we set up rules, we break them. We're prone to that. The truth of the gospel message is that we're prone to that and yet God still has chosen us. We're prone to that and yet God has still poured His Spirit into us to set us free. We face that doubt not by trying to follow rules again. We face that doubt with truth. So we skip a verse that I want to go back to. We skip the beginning, the beginning of verse 12. Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And that's the point. Brothers, this is the first time in Galatians that Paul gives them a command. He's been arguing from the Old Testament about Abraham. He's used his own testimony. He talked about how he had to challenge Peter one time for missing the point. He's given them all this theology to say, you really are free. Now he says, 
So become like me. At first glance, that seems arrogant. Become like you. You aren't Jesus. That, that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, I've become free from rule following. I was a Jewish man who tried to follow all of those rules to be saved. That didn't do it. Become like me means drop the rule book. Become like me says, stop picking up the chains. Become like me is, be a truth teller to one another, Galatian church. When Paul says, become like me, he goes on to share their testimony. To tell them how they did indeed receive the gospel and were set free. He was a truth teller. He wasn't telling them to follow rules. We have two opposing messages here. One by guys that say, you have to do this, 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 and that, and that'll get rid of your anxiety and you'll really be free. And then you have Paul who says, listen, you were saved. You were free. Stop acting this way. Stop trying to earn it. You are free. Paul is saying, don't become like them. Become like me. Face your doubt and your freedom with truth, not with rules. Good News Bible Church. As we are in our small groups, one of the greatest blessings that we could be to one another is remembering each other's stories. So that in moments of doubt, we can remind one another about how God has saved us. That's what Paul did for the Galatians. He laid out their story for them because he knew it. He knew they were saved. And so when they started doubting their freedom, he didn't tell them, well, you know what, you've got to do this, 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 and that. No. He reminded them of the truth that they were saved. Good news, we need to become like Paul in this case. And we need to start reminding one another of the truth, the message of freedom. We need to be careful not to tell people that they need to do a certain set of things, think a certain kind of way. The gospel can't be earned. Freedom can't be earned. It's a gracious gift from God that we receive by believing in His Son, Jesus Christ, who died to set us free. That's the truth of the message, and we need to be telling that to one another over and over and over again, because we will forget it, because we'll stray away from it, because we're prone to going back to the elementary principles of the world, that thing that is useless, rules. Guiding principles. If you want any proof that Christians are still prone to trying to earn their way back into a faith-filled life, go to a Christian bookstore. There are a lot of great Christian books out there. There are. But there are whole sections of steps on how to live the Christian life. There are whole aisles and rows about this stuff. Do these things. Live this way. Be this person. That's not the Christian message. It's not. Paul says, become like me, truth tellers. Ones that believe in the truth and ones that tell the truth to one another. Good news. As we are in our small groups, challenge one another by using their testimony. Recently, I was in Atlanta. 
I had some friends that I visited while I was out there. I was out there for work, but while I was out there, I had a friend that was very close to me while we were at Moody. Uh, She's graduated and since moved to Atlanta. I spent some time with her, and um, I was very honest with her. Um, I've decided not to continue in seminary right away. I took a bit of a break. Uh, I took a bit of a break because I felt like I wasn't ready to do that. But here's, here's the reality. Here's why I really didn't do seminary right away. Uh, the reason I didn't do it, truth be told, is because I felt like I was unfit for it. I felt like I, I, I wasn't right. I needed to do a certain kind of things before I could continue in seminary. I, I felt like I had gotten lost somehow while at Moody. And that I didn't really know if I wanted to do ministry. That I wasn't sure that I, con- I wanted to continue to serve the Lord and prepare that way. I was facing a huge amount of doubt in my call and in my ability to really serve God. And while I was out there in Atlanta, instead of challenging me with steps, uh, this friend of mine, what she told me was this. I remember when you first got to Moody, you were that crazy guy who really believed that God would do something with one conversation with a stranger on the street. You were that crazy kid who showed up to poetry slams and would start sharing poetry with uh, high schoolers just because you believed that God would do something if you shared it. You were convinced that God was out to save people because he loved them. I remember you did all sorts of stuff, like poetry, concerts, all these things, just because you believed that God was working. She shared my story back to me as if I didn't know it. But that was the greatest encouragement to me. Yesterday, when I was preparing for this message and feeling all sorts of concerned about preaching again, having stepped away from school for a little while, having not been in the books the way that I've been, Now preaching a message in a book that I haven't studied the way that I used to at school. I was talking to my grandmother and I told her very frankly, I feel unfit to preach this. I'm not sure that I am prepared to be a preacher of this message. My grandmother told me quite frankly, she goes, it has nothing to do with you, Ricky. It has everything to do with God's call to his people to remind them of the truth. And it just so happens that that's also the reminder you need. You preach because you've been rescued. You've been rescued, so you share that message. So keep sharing it. You see, we have Paul who tells the truth, but then we have to look at this other side too, the Judaizers. What motivated them to tell the Christians of Galatia that they had to act a certain kind of way, Paul, Paul tells the Galatians why. He says they were motivated because they wanted to be made much of. Good News Bible Church, we have to be really careful about our reasons to do ministry. If our reasons to do ministry, our reasons to serve the Lord, 
uh, for us to feel like we really, really are adequate or that we really, really have earned anything with God, uh, then we have to really face that. Because that's another way of earning favor. And it doesn't work that way. We share the message. Paul shared the message with the Galatians because he wanted to see them saved. Not because he wanted anything for himself. Paul says that he was in anguish as if he were in childbirth. He wasn't gaining any sort of positive feeling about this. He was working and serving because he knew God called him to that. And the Judaizers needed to feel like they've earned the right to preach by gaining more and more disciples. They needed to be made much of. So let's be truth tellers and not people that promote rules here. Let's share the gospel message for what it is. Freedom. Not a set of guidelines. We face our doubt with truth. Not guiding principles. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you have saved us not because we...